So this morning we are going to be in First Peter, uh, chapter one. And uh, if you need a Bible so you can follow along, uh, put your hand up in the air and we will get one to you. If you don't own one, keep this one. It is yours. There's something of, of uh, dread and excitement as you come to stare face to face with a holy God. There's excitement, and then there's fearful dread. There's a fearful mystery of the holiness of God and the holiness that God calls the Christian to. I think it is summed up happily by Augustine when he says this. What is that which gleams through me and smites my heart without wounding it? I have both a shudder and a glow. A shudder insofar as I am unlike it. A glow insofar as I am like it. This morning, we're going to be confronted with the holiness of God. We'll be confronted with his distinct otherness from us. We'll be confronted with the holiness of God as it pertains to his complete purity. We'll be confronted with what the holiness of God demands from those who are called by him. We'll be confronted with the truth of our natural animosity toward the holiness of God as, as we try to live that out. I pray, though, that this morning our response is unlike uh, the elders at one Oregon church that they have them. Um, they were confronted with the holiness of God. A pastor was preaching a series uh, from first year, and afterwards a lady, she subsequently raised a complaint concerning his ministry with this explanation to the pastor as he was leaving. I am not leaving this church on Sunday as happy as I have in the past. To the preacher, this seemed like evidence of progress in this lady's life. She was a little excited. Mainly that she had had a confrontation with the holiness of God and that that was having a sobering effect on her. Unfortunately, some of the elders did not see it that way. With the result that they asked him for a different tone in his pastoral presentation. So my prayer this morning is that we would respond much like Augustine, affected with a sobering shudder in the ways that we are unlike the holiness of God and a glow in the truth that God in his holiness makes us holy. So let's pray and we will jump into First Peter. Father, I ask that as we unfold your word that you would just empty this poor, wretched sinner of himself. That you would fill me with you. That In, in, in just true awe, I, I understand I am a man of unclean lips. And I ask, Lord, that you do a work here this morning by your Holy Spirit. Convince us of your holiness. Convince us of our need, our desperate need of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would have your way in this place this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, let's read First uh, Peter, 
Uh, chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 13 and go through uh, 2 12. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh like grass, and its glory like a flower of the grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that it may that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, that stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Um, so, I want to recap us where we were last week and get us here. Um, so last week, we looked at... Um, in chapter 1, 1 through 12, the assurance of salvation. We talked about what is already, what is already is how we live in the not yet. There, there's the already that God has done. So we, we live in the reality that, that by faith we live in the accomplishment of God in our salvation. It is our living hope that we have been born again to. But before we really dive into this text, we have to, I believe, define holiness. We have to define holiness. And um, R.C. Sproul uh, does it really well. So I'm going to take some, some of his and, and give that to you because it's really, he makes it very clear. 
Number one, to be holy is to be distinct, separate, and classed by oneself. As Archie Sproul puts it, the primary meaning of holy is separate. It comes from an ancient word that meant to cut or to separate. Perhaps even more accurate would be the phrase, a cut above something. This means that the one who is holy is uniquely holy, with no rivals or competition. When the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is transcendently separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a special way. In Psalm 86, verses 8-10, it reads this, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. O Lord, I shall glorify your name. You are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Secondly, he says, to be holy is to be morally pure. When things are made holy, when they are consecrated, they are set apart unto purity. They are to be used in a pure way. They are to reflect purity as well as simple apartness. To be holy is not exhausted by the idea of purity. It includes purity, but much more than that. It is purity and transcendence. It is a transcendent purity. That is that goes above and beyond, way beyond the explanation of what purity in our own minds mean. It's, it's way beyond that. And three, for God to be holy is for him to be holy in relation to every aspect of his nature and character. Set apart in every single way. Now, God takes his holiness seriously. He does. Very seriously. And God demands that those who are his people, those that he has chosen, those who he has set apart, that they be holy, but that they take more seriously the holiness of God himself. That they take his holiness as seriously as he takes his own holiness. That's what he called us to, to take the holiness of God deeply seriously. You may remember in Numbers and um, the, 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 uh, the Israelites are grumbling and complaining about all that that uh, Moses has brought them up to. And they're blaming God, of course, right? So they're contesting with God about uh, the lack of water and the lack of food and the, just uh, their, their troubles and trials, right? And um, so in Numbers 20, uh, 10 to 13, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank it and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. See, the holiness of God has defined a response from those that God in his holiness has chosen. He's defined a response. He says, I will be regarded as holy because I am holy. You will live in such a way that it regards my holiness is, is in man. So God's people must take his holiness seriously. 
God is holy. This is, this is my plea this morning that you get this. I'm probably going to say this multiple times. God is holy. Live like it. Love like it. Long for it. Gather around it. And declare it. That's my aim this morning. From the word of God. That God is holy. We should live like it. We should love like it. We should long for it. We should gather around it as a community for it, for his holiness. And we should declare that God is indeed holy. So as we look at the text, I've divided it this way. We declare the holiness of God in our living, uh, chapter 1, 13 through 21. We declare the holiness of God in loving, 122 through 23. We declare the holiness of God in our longing, chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. We declare the holiness of God in community, um, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And our declaration of God's holiness is vindicated at Christ's return in chapter 2, 11 through 12. So let's read again, just because we've got to get this into our hearts and minds here. Let's read uh, chapter 1, 13 through 21, and then we will jump in. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, sit down fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. So, we're seeing that our lives, the demand from God, that our lives, our living, declare the holiness of God. And he tells us this in verse 13. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, saying, hopefully, have the grace that we're brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, Peter here instructs the dispersed people that they must prepare your minds for action. You must be sober-minded. Don't lose sight of the living hope that you have been born into. And further, there is a battle for your soul, and you must engage your mind. Because your own flesh is fighting against what the Spirit has made you. When we look at 2, verse 11, he tells us here this, that, <clears throat> Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Our own souls war against the holiness of God that he's called us to. It, it wars against us. So he tells them, we must clearly be intentional in our actions. We have been set apart, consecrated to, devoted to, ordained to declare God's holiness in every aspect of our lives. That's why as I said at the beginning, you go into looking at the holiness of God, we have this shudder of sheer fear and dread. God is 
holy. I don't know if you ever had that shrinking feeling that when you say this, God is holy. I am not. I am unlike him. I am so unlike him. But he says here in verses 14 through 16, you see, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of reform or ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. It is God who makes us holy. As God says in the beginning of this letter, right? He says, according to the foreknowledge of God, who chose you. That means that he chose us. He set us apart. He consecrated us or ordained us to this new life. God has made us holy according to the foreknowledge of God. And according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. God says, you are a holy people. I chose you and set you apart for that purpose. So the measure of our holiness becomes more than what he has separated us from. But it is measured by more by what he has called us to. We are consecrated by God to declare his holiness in our living declaration. And we don't declare in ourselves our own holiness. We declare the holiness of God. Where we get into uh, legalism and holier than thouness, if that's a word, thouness. Um, when we get into that, is when we've appropriated this that I in myself am something. I in myself am something to be modeled. I in my model this, be like me. Well, in a sense, our being, like asking somebody to do that, is only in so much as you are declaring the glory of God Himself. Only in so much as you have been transformed by Jesus Christ himself. That's why Paul can say, follow me. Follow my example. Follow my example as I follow Christ. As I declare God's holiness with my living. Follow that. As much as I do. When I don't declare the holiness of God, please don't follow me. <laughs> please don't. Uh, please correct me and say that is not consistent with the holiness of God. So... As we declare the holiness of God, it is a distinct thing. It is a distinct reference for His glory. And we have this distinct sinking feeling that we then are in need of a Savior. Verse 17 says, And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. The appropriate response to the holiness of God is fear and reverence. And the outworking of that fear and reverence of the holiness of God is obedience. 
Do we often come to Christ to feel better about ourselves rather than falling on our faces in humble awe at His holiness? The holiness of God makes the gospel a glorious necessity. Makes it a glorious necessity. I am undone. And he reminds them here that if you have approached God as Father, it's because He has made you a son or a daughter. It is because of the holiness, a completely different way of thinking. It's completely weird and strange to think that God, who is holy, would take a people like you and a people like me and make him his children. That, that he would do something so odd as to take all of our sin and pour it out on his own son who is distinctly holy and completely other than us. And that that work would make us holy and set apart for God. As we looked at the earlier part of chapter 1, the angels look at this and long to understand this grace that God has bestowed on us. We understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a necessity when we think about the holiness of God. Let's look at 122 through 23. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you were born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that it that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The truth that is obeyed is that God is holy. He's completely other. He is a cut above all things in all ways, perfectly pure, beyond any earthly or heavenly comparison. And in His grace, He elected some, according to His great mercy, to be born again to a living hope. This rebirth was delivered to you and is being delivered to you today in your hearing through the living and abiding word of God. This rebirth is a cut above your earthly life that was planted with perishable seed. This was born of a seed, this new life was born of a seed of complete otherness. It will not perish as you have now been born of God. You have been consecrated, set apart to a love for one another with a pure heart that declares the holiness of God who chose you. This gospel is good news. This gospel is good news. It is unlike the news of the world. The news that the world would say that you need to hear. It's going to wither and it's going to fall. The new things that the world tells you that you must do to be happy and blessed and full of joy. Those things, they're going to wither and they will fall. And whether or not you receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ today, whether or not you receive that, the word of the Lord will remain forever.
God will remain and does remain holy, separate, distinctly greater, and distinctly pure. Is this you? Do you believe? Do you love your neighbor in a way that declares the holiness of God? Do you, do I, do we, as a church, love each other in a distinct way? In a way that is set apart from the world? Do we love each other as a family in such a way that declares that God is holy? He has chosen us and set us apart to a distinctly other kind of living and a distinctly other kind of loving. In light of this, of course, he says, so put away, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Let newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that it may, that you buy it and may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. See, the consecrated heart of love must then put away evil intent. Deceitful desires for selfish gain, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Since this behavior towards others denies the holiness of God. You've tasted the goodness of God's holiness. Instead of longing for preeminence among your brothers, long for pure spiritual milk that you might grow in the holiness of God that He has set you apart for. Is our greatest longing that we might grow up in the saving knowledge of the gospel? That we might grow in living out the reality right now of the assured salvation we have in Christ? Does your heart's longing desire to declare the holiness of God? Verse 4 As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, so that the honor is for you who believe, but those who do not believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to. Here the Apostle Peter declares again that God in His grace and His mercy and in His holiness declares that as the people of God come to the Lord, they come as rejects. He begins with this idea that you are rejects. That you are exiles. That you've, you're, you're rejected by the world. You're, you're a bunch of rejects. I didn't reject you though. I accepted you and made you separate. And the world is going to reject that. The world is rejecting you. They come as rejects of men, but they are precious in his sight. They are people built in a distinct way. Your worship of God says, it is acceptable because I have built you upon Jesus. I have built you upon a distinctly other. I have built you on the Holy Son of God. And then God chose this Jesus. God made this Christ as the cornerstone. And God chose you as living stones to be built upon that stone of Jesus. That through obedience to the gospel that was preached to you, that you would be made a holy and distinct person. 
Others stumble in disobedience and they were destined to. But he says, not you. Not you. You I have made holy. Now, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are what God made you. He has chosen you. He has caused you to be born again. You were once far away from God and his holy love. He made you a people, a community, a people of different geography, of maybe different language, of maybe different religious practices. And he united you through a holy Savior, making you his treasured possession. He made you priests for his service, not by birthright, not by tradition, but by his grace. This community has but one purpose, to proclaim the excellencies, the holiness of God. The holiness of a God who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I would ask this question of our own hearts this morning. Does the proclamation of God's holiness mark your life personally? Does the proclamation of the excellencies of God's work in saving us mark our community church as a body? Is that what we are about? Is declaring the holiness of God, declaring the excellencies of His saving work in our lives, that I was once a child completely in darkness. I saw no way to live other than to live for my flesh. And he rescued me from that darkness. By his saving power, he shed light on my heart and transformed me and changed me. Is that us? Is that who we are? Verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. See, there's a threefold attack on God's holiness in our lives. In chapter 1, verse 14, I'm going to read that because I don't want to mess it up. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Our former ignorance he says that this is one of the attacks. We disobey our, our call to declare God's holiness by being conformed back to our passions of our former ignorance. We now know. But in our ignorance, maybe those things still have appeal. We go back to those things and they have over and they war against our deprivation of God's holiness. The things that we once held dear that Christ has saved us from? You ever feel those things rising up again? You once held them dear, and you know that Christ has set you free from them? And you live a wholly separate, different other life, and you think, man, I finally got through that, and then it comes out of you again? Maybe in words comes out of your mouth. Maybe it comes out in an attitude. Man, when I was unaware of that, I didn't care. Now I'm aware of this thing is enslaving me, starting back away from declaring 
the holiness of God, they cross away. In 1, uh, 17 and 18, And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves without fear the time of his exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the few ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. See, again, we go back to feudal ways of trying to earn God's favor. We go back to trying to earn God's favor through legalism or through church tradition or through the doctrines of man. And I think this is the big one for today. This is the one I think that is the warning of the church is these things that draw us away from declaring the holiness of God as God has declared himself and his word is that we have this our own emotional sentiments toward God. This is how I feel that God is. And I declare that to be the truth. It's not. This is how I want to feel about God. That God serves me do that. That God serves excuse my bad behavior. That God serves wants me to just be happy. And I'm not happy. So I deny the holiness of God, the separateness of Him, through some emotional sentiment. And finally, in verse 11 of chapter 2, it's pretty clear in this verse, Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He tells us here the passions of our flesh are warring against the holy calling to a holy living. Our flesh longs to live according to the old nature. Before we were people, when the ways of man were our guide, Peter reminds them, you are exiles from the world, merely travelers here with a blood-bought destination. You're merely just travelers here, but there's a blood-bought destination that is sure. He told them that before, that this salvation is Sure, it is God who is keeping it and guarding it. It is God who possesses this salvation that he's going to give to us. Verse 12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evil doers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. See, if we declare the holiness of God in our loving, in our living, in our loving, in our longing, you will be rejected for it. Evil will be spoken of you for it. But when God's holiness is revealed at Christ's coming, your obedience will vindicate you to the glory of God. When God's holiness is revealed in the person of Christ, these who mock you for obeying this holy God that they can't see, those who would mock us for that, when Christ returns and they see him as we see him, they'll say, those guys, they were right. God is worthy of praise and honor. God is indeed holy. Our lives will be vindicated when Christ returns. So I'm going to ask us today these last questions. God is holy. There's my declaration. Will you live like it? Will you love like it? Will you long for it?
when you and I, as a church, gather around the holiness of God. And will we declare it with everything? He doesn't ask for a little bit of us to declare the holiness of God, does he? God doesn't ask for a small bit of who we are. God's holiness demands all. He said in all of your conduct, all means all, everything. How we live, how we love, the passions and longings of our hearts, the communities that we gather around, that's the difference between what a church is called to do is we gather around and declare the holiness of God together in the community of what makes us a church and not a country club and not a social club. We gather around the holiness of God. That is our declaration. When we bring the world in and its systems and its ways, what do we declare? We don't declare the evidence of God. We should be uniquely different. We should be quite a strange bunch of people, right? Exiles, sojourners, travelers. You are just passing through. That's what the church should be marked by. I be marked by the awe of the holiness of God. Will we live like it? Will we love like it? Will we long for it? Will we gather around it and will we declare it? When we declare Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, did you know that we're declaring the holiness of God? Because it is a completely other way of thinking about things, is it not? It is completely upside down from the world. When we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are declaring the holiness of God. God is so other than we are. His way is so other than we are. And his salvation is so other than any way we might come up with to try to find our way of pleasing being God's way. It's so other. I can't work for it. I can't earn it. I can't be a man about this thing. I want to be a man about this thing. Surely there's something I can learn and know. There's some sort of way that I can act today that would be pleasing to God that would glorify him. There must be someone. And God says, I did it all. I sent Jesus Christ to atone for your sin. And I took all the righteousness that was in him and I imputed it upon you. That is wholly other, isn't it, friends? I hope that today, that in your hearing, that you see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this holy otherness of God and what he's done. I hope that we see that this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the word, and I pray by your Holy Spirit's power that you've done work to change us and cause us to be those who would live in such a way as we declare the holiness of God. Help us, Lord, to love each other in such a way and to love those outside of the body in the same way that declares the holiness of God. Help us, Lord, that as we gather together week in and week out, and day in and day out as a family, Lord. Help that family gathering be gathered around the holiness of God. Help our hearts to long, God, to know your holiness even more. Help us, God, to long for a life that reflects it, a love that reflects it. 
And then, Lord, give us boldness and sureness to declare this everywhere we go. The world is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. Help them to see the holy righteousness of you, God, that they might fall on their face and say, I am undone. I need you. So Lord, help us to live that out. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.